I hope I got all. If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open them to John, the first chapter. John chapter 1. We're going to be talking for a third time and a final time about why it's so important to know the story, to study God's Word, to, to, to know it forward and backward, to make sure that we can recount it to other people. We're going to talk about why we need to know it. We've been talking about that the last few weeks. If you've missed the last couple of weeks, hop on blchurch.com. We'll, you'll get an in-depth study of Isaiah chapter 55 and the way the Word of God speaks in our lives. The year was 1862. You're saying, is that the year the Bible was written? No, no, it was not the year the Bible was written. But in the year 1862, America was embroiled in the Civil War. It had been going on for a year at that point, and things had not been going well for the North. Things had not been going well for the Union. You see, all summer long, the Union armies and its commander, George McClellan, had been stumped. They'd been outfoxed, outmaneuvered, outskilled, outfought by a man named Robert E. Lee and his rebel army. In fact, things in the North were going so poorly that Robert E. Lee and his army decided that they would invade the North and try to end the war right then and there in late summer, 1862. You see, McClellan couldn't figure out Lee. The Union Army could not figure out the Southern Army. They had lost over and over and over again. And now they were in the most precarious position possible. Lee was invading the North, and he had designs on Harper's Ferry, <clears throat> Baltimore, perhaps even Washington, D.C. itself. The Union Army under McClellan gave chase, and then something improbable happened. A man who would otherwise be lost to history, a man named Corpor Corporal Barton W. Mitchell, was walking through a field that the Confederate Army had just vacated, and he found three cigars. Quite a haul for somebody in the Army at that time in history. But those cigars were wrapped in an envelope, and in that envelope was a piece of paper. And when he opened up that piece of paper, he found Special Order 191 from the desk of Robert E. Lee. Corporal Barton W. Mitchell had stumbled across the war orders of the entire Confederate Army, straight from the mind of their chief opponent. That Union soldier had found something better than gold. He'd found something that might put an end to the war and allow his commander, George McClellan, to finally beat the wily Robert E. Lee. So he passed it to his superior, he passed it to his superior, and he passed it to his superior. And eventually, all the way up the chain of command went Special Order 191, something that for history now has become known as the Lost Order. And in front of McClellan that day, was the thought processes, the plans, the very mind of Robert E. Lee and the Army of Northern Virginia. After McClellan read it, he looked at one of his generals and said, now I know what to do. Here is the paper with which if I cannot whip Bobby Lee, I'll be willing to go home. All that commander had to do was read it, study it, get into the mind of Robert E. Lee. McClellan was given the greatest opportunity of his life. The only question was, what would he do with it? Are you in John chapter 1? 
we're going to be reading verses 1 through 5 and 9 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people, but did not, his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, that's an interesting way to start a gospel, isn't it? I mean, when you're thinking about gospels, stories about Jesus, it's interesting that, that John the Apostle, one of the closest associates of Christ, would start his gospel with, in the beginning was the Word. Now, what are we talking about here? A, a different word than what we talk about? Who, who has the Word with them this morning? You know, from, from, from like a Christian standpoint, you have, a, you have a copy of the Word in your lap? Hold up the Word for a moment if you've got it. Right, right, right. And so, yeah, the phones go up, right? Yeah, I love it. The Word of God. That, that, when, we're, when we're in church, when we talk about the Word, we're talking about the Bible. We're talking about the, the Word of God. So when we talk about the Word here in church, we're, we're talking about the Word of God. But what do we mean by the Word? What we're really saying is, when we hold up our Bible, is the Word is God's self-disclosure. We're holding up God's thoughts, his plans, his intentions, his, his nature. We're, we're finding out about God by holding up his word. The word means God's self-disclosure. Now, what do I mean by self-disclosure? Well, what you can find out about someone that they allow you to know. Now, I've known a few people in my life who want to go off the grid. They don't want anybody to know them. They don't have a phone. They don't have a bank account. They're living in the woods, and they love their shotgun. But, but for, the, for the rest of us, we, we allow ourselves to be known. Some are like, yes, I'm planning that now. Uh, good luck to you. But for most of us, we're, we're okay being known, and, and things can be found out about us from the public record. If you were to look in the public record, you'd find who my parents are who my children are, who I'm married. You, 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 you might be able, if you have my social security, to find out my credit score if you wanted to. You, you, you might even find out that I once backed into an AT&T truck. You might learn things about me from the public record. I still think the fine was still too huge. But anyhow, I, you might learn things about me ju just by that. And in many ways, we know things about God just from what he's, he's placed in the public record, if you will, of our hearts and our minds. We, we assume that there's a God, someone who's created us. Every culture 
in history, save maybe one or two, have, have surmised that there is a God, someone who got this whole thing into being. And, and that's one way to know God, but, but there's a deeper way that we can know God. For instance, if you were to go down the hall to my office, or you were to go visit my house, you, you would learn a lot more about me, wouldn't you? you? You would walk into my office, and you would look at my desk right now and think, that guy is a mess. You, you might look up, and you, you'd see all of my commentaries and Bible studies and think, wow, that guy can read those. And then you'd look at the other shelf, and you'd see Ernie from Sesame Street sitting there. Oh, he might have a sense of humor. You can learn a little bit about me from my office. You might go to my home this morning, and you might assume that I left for church in a rush. <laughs> the iron might still be on the ironing board, hopefully unplugged. You, 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 you might see, you know, bottles and cups and, and shoes and, and extra socks and, and outfits that were chosen not to be worn lying about. You'd learn that, that my family left for church rush. So, so you can learn a lot by sort of hanging around the things that I hang around. And you can learn a lot, if you will, from hanging around the people of God. You, you can learn a lot from hanging out in church. You can learn a lot about God from being around folks like that. You can learn a lot about God from nature and see the order and the, 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 the things that are, that are tremendous about nature. Well, if you really wanted to know me, may, maybe one of the best ways to know me is if everybody in my family wrote something about me. And maybe I wrote a little bit of an autobiography too. And you had my autobiography and you had the notes from my family and you find out who I really am through that. Well, that's what we're talking about when we talk about God's word that we hold up. This is the word about God. This is the thoughts and plans and actions and intentions of God. Some words directly from God himself, like Exodus chapter 33 or, or, or Isaiah chapter 55, words spoken directly from the Lord. But in many cases, words written by those closest to the Lord, prophets and apostles, Prophets being the men of the Old Testament whose life and ministry and experience proved that they spoke for the Lord. Apostles being disciples who had walked and talked with Jesus. We learn God's self-disclosure. We learn his revelation from the people who were closest to him. This would not have been lost on the audience that John wrote John chapter 1 and following to. When they thought about the word, they were thinking about God's wisdom and his plans and his self-disclosure. And John does something very interesting when he begins to write his gospel. He writes the words, in the beginning. Now, where have you heard that before? Some of you are like, I have no idea. Well, that's why we're doing the story. You'll find out <laughs> in chapter one, the first three words are, in the beginning. You see, that was John's Bible. That was the Bible that John read, the Old Testament. And somehow, this word that John is talking about is meant to be in some way equated with the word that you just held up. Are you catching it? Otherwise, he wouldn't have wrote, in the beginning. But my question is, is this word synonymous with the word you hold up? Well, I don't think it can be. Let's explain that word. Let's see why John is trying to equate the word of God, the, the, the record of God, with something seemingly different. It seems his word and our word aren't the same thing. But he starts within the beginning. So he's trying to equate them on some level. 
So let's explain what we find from the word. And I'm going to invite you, look down in your Bibles. We're just going to go quickly, verse by verse, and talk about John's word for just a minute. In the beginning was the word. So the word, this word that we're talking about, that John's talking about, was co-eternal with God. It was there before time began. There was never a time when the word was not. We also find that the word was with God. In the Greek, that means beside or alongside of. That's the, that's the language of the New Testament was written and was Greek. Alongside of God. So the word was right there with God when things were created. That's pretty easy so far. So if we just equate it with our word, all right, God's knowledge, his plans, his thoughts, his intentions were with, were with God. They were there before he created, and they were right alongside him. And the word was God. All right, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. My thoughts, my plans, my intentions, who, who I am in my thought life, that's me, right? That's my internal person. That, that, that makes sense. All right, so the word was with God in the beginning. Okay, okay. And then it says in verse 2, he was with God. Now we've got a problem. For those of you who are grammatically inclined, that is a third-person personal pronoun. Let me break that down for the rest of us. He said he was with God in the beginning. So the word is God's self-disclosure, his thoughts, his plans, his intents, his actions, and the word is also a person. And it was that person through whom everything that we call life was created. In the Greek, the word is dia, which means through or on account of or because. John's telling us that unless the word is, creation doesn't happen. Unless there is a person named the word, we don't exist. God doesn't create without him in mind. In fact, nothing that has been made was made without his leave. But then we get a clue as to why. Verse 5, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The life that we know came through the world, word but that life that came through the word was also meant to be our light, our guide, our salvation. Now, that, that's, that's all a ton of theology in like, oh, I don't know, 90 seconds. So congratulations for going this far with me, but we'd learn more when we skip down to verse 9. That light was coming into the world. God's thoughts, plans, actions, intentions, all summed up in a person, in a he, was going to show up here with all us he's and she's. Going to show up right here on earth. Except John, looking back at the event that was the word coming, says, you know, the world didn't quite get him, and his own did not receive him. Well, who are the word's own? Well, if you were to say... Uh, Matt's own, you know, aren't getting in the car, which will probably happen in about an hour and ten minutes from now. What, what do we mean? Well, we mean, we mean Matt's kids. Well, I'm Matt, by the way. Matt's kids are not getting in the car. Well, who, who are the Word's own? The Word's people. The people of the Word. The people who knew the thoughts and the plans and the actions or of intentions of God. The, the people who should know, have known God's self-disclosure. The people of the book of the word, saw the word come in human form, and uh, I don't think so. And you say, 
that, that's a lot to take in, Pastor Matt. Well, that's another reason why we're studying the story. But finally, look down at verse 14. Just so we make sure that God's thoughts, plans, actions, and self-disclosure are not just some ethereal, wispy, spiritual thing, John wants us to know in verse 14 that the Word became flesh. This is flesh. Hold out your hand. You got some too. The Word became human, flesh. The eternal thoughts, actions, plan of God took on this. If you want to read more about that this week, go ahead and read Philippians chapter 2, 5 and following. You can write that in your notes. I'll talk a little bit more about the Word becoming flesh. But look back at verse 13 for a minute. I want to make one more note. To as many as received him, who believed in his name, the Word gave the right to become children of God. That means that the Word was not only the one through whom creation and for whom and by whom and because of the world was created, the Word also is our salvation. The Word is also our light and our life by which we can come to God. Can't quite equate that with the Bible, right? You can't, you can't quite say that that's the exact same thing. Yet, John has done something here that, that, that makes us in some way look back to the Bible and go, what's he trying to say here? Because as I mentioned, he starts with, in the beginning. If you hadn't caught this by now, we're talking about Jesus. Just so you know, the word is Jesus. But, but, but this concept of Jesus being the word, this isn't flesh, fleshed out in the rest of Scripture, if you will. This isn't talked about a lot. In fact, only one other place in all of the Bible is Jesus called the word. It's, it's way in the end, Revelation 19. We'll get there around August 30th, all right? Way in the end, it says he's the word. I think 1913 or something like that, Jesus is called the word. But John wants us to know that Jesus in some way is to be equated with God's self-disclosure in its fullest form and in some way not equal to, not the same as, but in some way connected to that Bible you just held up. So why call Jesus the Word? Why, why start his gospel this way? Why explain this man he knew so well in these terms? Because he is trying to tell us unequivocally, that the greatest way to know God is through Jesus Christ. The greatest way to know God's thoughts and actions and intentions are to know Jesus himself. This is why he calls Jesus the Word. This is why he calls upon the imagery of God's self-disclosure in the Bible to explain him. Now, for those of you who are critically minded and analytically inclined... You might look at me and say, Pastor Matt, you have just undermined everything you're trying to do through the story because you have said that the fullest expression of God's self-disclosure is Jesus. So why study the Bible? I just need to pray and talk to Jesus and hear about Jesus and think about Jesus. Why would I need to study the Bible? Because in the beginning, 
was the Word. What John has done by calling Jesus the Word and starting his gospel with the phrase, in the beginning, was not to subjugate the Bible, but to elevate it. Why? Because that Bible you hold in your hands begins the story of, points to, anticipates, cries out for the word to become flesh. When Jesus comes, that Bible tells the story of him proving, confirming, and demonstrating the heart, the thought, the intentions, and the plans of God. And the New Testament, after the Gospels, looks back on his light and his life and his truth and his glory and tells us what it means for the recipients of the word that became flesh. The entire Bible points to Jesus. It teaches us about him. It shows us our need for him. It makes his coming an anticipated event. It shows us how God acts as one of us. It provides a way for salvation and then invites us into his work. If you sit down with me and you chat with me for a few minutes, you might feel that I know him. But what if you sat down with and chatted with me and then had an opportunity to read my autobiography and read all the notes that my family and closest friends had written about my history. Would you know me better? Certainly you'd know me better. John decides to and somehow link the eternal word of God that is Christ Jesus with the word of God, which is the Bible which we hold in our hands by saying, in the beginning, because he wants us to know that that Bible we hold in our hand is a guidebook to understanding the person who came in the flesh. Charles Spurgeon, perhaps the greatest preacher of the 19th century, famous for the way he understood the scriptures, once wrote, the scripture is our inexhaustible textbook and the Lord Jesus, our boundless subject. When you study God's word, you are studying the word. When you learn the story, you are learning his story. You are not just becoming a Bible scholar. Bible scholars are boring. I know I went for seven years for an undergraduate and a graduate degree and spent my time with Bible scholars. Boring. Not all of them. Some are more cool. Anyhow, we don't want to make you a Bible scholar. We want to make you a Jesus scholar. We want you to know the Lord. We want you to know why he came and what he did and what he was all about. We want you to see the perfect plan of God unfold before your very eyes, and then someday you'll be able to tell someone else about what Jesus has done, 
why he came and what he's going to do. That's why we study the story. That's why we want to know the word. That's why we study the Bible with our full heart, because in doing so, we are acting in worship to Jesus Christ. It is his story from start to finish. George McClellan had the mind of Robert E. Lee in his hand. The paper with which if he could not whip Bobby Lee, he'd be willing to go home. He had the thoughts, the plans, and the intentions of his intellectually superior, intellectual superior, right in his hand. The reason the lost order, Order 191, became famous to history is not because George McClellan followed it and defeated Robert E. Lee. It's famous to history because George McClellan ignored it, let Lee escape, and the war dragged on for three more years. Let it not be said of us that we had the thoughts, the plans, the intentions of God right in our hand, and we ignored it to our detriment. Let it be said of us instead that we had the thoughts, the plans, the intentions, the actions of God, God's self-disclosure in our hands, and we studied it, learned it, dove into it, began to embody it, and saw the power that happens when we embrace God's word. Let it be said of us that we didn't ignore the most precious gift that God has given us second only to Jesus. Because as we have found today, the word and the word are linked forever. Would you bow with me and pray? Heavenly Father, your word is life and light. It's truth. Since the beginning of time, men and women have wanted to know why you created us, why we're here, why we see brokenness in the midst of seeing goodness and peace, why we see things that make no sense, but why this place seems ordered and chaotic all at the same time. They look to the heavens and they say, who are you and why? Lord, you have told us. You've made yourself known. You are available to be known. And you have invited us to know you by giving us your word and by giving us your son, the word. God, I pray today that we would set ourselves apart for the next 31 weeks. The Bible would call it, allow us to consecrate ourselves. study your word in a way that we never have before. We might not have an opportunity, we might not have an opportunity like this again. We may not have the cookies put down on the shelf where we can reach them like this ever again. 
Lord, there's always Bible school, there's always seminaries, but Lord, we have something available to us today. Something that if we read and study and follow, our lives will be forever changed. Lord, may we set ourselves aside. May we consecrate ourselves to your word as an act of worship to your son. For just a few minutes, as we do at the end of every service here at VLC, we make this place a house of prayer. Our prayer team is coming. They are leaders and elders of our church who would love to pray with you for any need you may have. But this prayer time serves a dual purpose as it does every week. One, that we might be the body of Christ to one another and pray for one another. But two, that we can take what we've heard in the message and say, God, what about me? What do you want me to do with what I've heard? Do I need to set myself aside to consecrate myself for a time so I may know you better than I ever have before? So I just invite you to pray in these next few minutes. If you're new here, nothing weird. You just bow your heads, close your eyes, and just say, God, what are you speaking to me? But for those of you who'd like to come and receive prayer, or move towards God and kneel in the altar as a sign of worship, humility, and submission. That's why we open the altar for prayer. We'll pray for a few minutes, and we'll sing a song to close. I invite you all to stay reverent for the next few minutes and ask God what it is he wants to do in and through your life.